Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Uh, Good morning. Um, Today's scripture passage comes from Matthew chapter 5. Feel free to open up your Bibles. Um, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so it's kind of towards the back of your Bible. It's also the passage is listed on page four of your worship guide. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you um, for giving us a picture of what it means to be blessed and how different it might seem to those um, who do not know you. God, we thank you that um, you see those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning and who are meek and hungry and thirsty, and yet you call us blessed. Thank you for Jesus who models this for us um, and who has died on our behalf. Um, I pray for Joel this morning that you would give him um, your words to speak and that it would be good and restful for our souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Michelle. So one of the ways that I tend to think about life is that each of us here this morning, all of you, uh, and us collectively, uh, live life according to a story that we tell ourselves. And sometimes we're more conversant with that story, or some are more conversant with that story than others. 
And so just to give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about, uh, from a young age, your parents may have impressed upon you that the most important thing in life is to succeed. And they even mapped out some markers of what it looked like to succeed. And so as you went through life, that became the story for how you approached school or friendship, job opportunities, exploring various vocations, how you use your resources. It was all connected roughly to this idea that you're pursuing success and shaped by your family. For others, uh, you may have had uh, a series of successes and failures in life where people doubted you. And so uh, the idea that you are going to prove the doubters wrong begins to shape your life and how you think about things. If you listen to the Hamilton soundtrack and you cry, uh, that may be a sign that that story resonates with you. If you looked at your favorites in terms of the media you consume, whether it's the shows that you stream or the movies that you've watched more than one time, part of the reason may be you see that connected to or reinforcing your own story. And so for us, as we navigate life, it becomes valuable to take a moment and pause and say, uh, what is the story that drives our lives? Have I given thought to that? What is the story that uh, shapes what I do, my relationships, how I think about my friendships or my spouse? How do I think about work? Is the story that I tell myself that work is drudgery? And I'm just here to collect a check because that will have an impact on how you clock in, so to speak. Or is your story about work? I believe in the mission of what we're doing here and I am participating in bringing my gifts to bear. Because clocking in at that job may look slightly different. So you see how the story can have an impact and shape our lives collectively. Well, as we enter into the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is extending you an invitation. That's right. Each of you this morning, kids, women, men, Jesus is calling out to you and inviting you to think about your story in a new way. That is what he means when he calls you blessed. That is what he is going after when he announces that he, as King Jesus, has arrived to fulfill the promises of God. And that becomes this open-handed invitation for you to think, wait, is that the story that I want to participate in? Is that the story that's shaping my life? That's the question we'll take up this morning. And we're going to do it in three points. Uh, wide welcome, beginning blessings, and living lights. Wide welcome, beginning blessings, and living lights. That's right. I went for points with alliteration this morning. Uh, welcome to Mosaic Silver Spring. 
So in verses 1 and 2, this begins kind of the major uh, first teaching section of the Gospel of Matthew. It is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard about it, maybe not, that's okay. What you should know is Jesus shows up after announcing his arrival and kingship, after God, remember from last week, calling him my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And he begins to travel and announce to people that the kingdom of God has arrived, calling them to repent, and then beginning to explain, hey, this story of God's kingship means something to you, but if you join in, it is going to be a story that shapes your life. And he opens that invitation with this wide welcome. In verses 1, Jesus sees the crowd, and he goes up onto a mountain, and he sits down, and his disciples come to him, and he opens his mouth, and he teaches them. Now, that may seem like a fairly simple and straightforward uh, description of how Jesus starts, but I want to highlight two things that you may miss on first reading. The first is that the way that Matthew is setting this up in his gospel the fact that Jesus goes up to a mountain to teach, it may be a bit of an echo of Moses. When Moses went up to the mountain to hear from God and bring back down the law and explain it to the people of what it is that God requires, here in this major teaching section that we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus going up on the mount and then coming and talking to people about God's law and what he asks of his people seems to have some echoes back to Moses. But more than that, I want to note the wide welcome of who are the people who are listening to Jesus. The story that Jesus invites you into is not a secret. It's not some sort of insider information that we need to load up with jargon so that only the select few may understand. There's no copyright or patent on it. Ulrich Luz, a theologian, wrote in The Theology of the Gospel of Matthew, an academic work about Matthew and how it works out. He notes that there are at least two separate groups that are coming to hear this story and Jesus' invitation. And in verse 1, you get a sense that it's a crowd. It is a mix of people. It probably included some skeptics who weren't quite sure what to think of Jesus, but were definitely uh, skeptical of the message he brought. It involved people who were interested. Uh, they didn't have much else going on that day. And so they said, I'm going to go check this out. And then later in verse 1, it included his disciples, the people who believed that Jesus was the chosen one and were following him. And so what I want to note is that in this major teaching section, when Jesus goes up on the mountain to help people understand this is what God invites you into and here's the impact on your lives, he's inviting that. He's inviting everyone to that. It is a wide welcome. It had a mix of people. And it, that shapes how we function as a community, I think. Inasmuch as Sunday in and Sunday out, it is true that as a church, worship is often geared toward those who are following Jesus or who are working to grow in their faith and understand what that means. That's true, but it's not exclusive to them. It's not a uh, trade secret 
a patented message or a copyrighted set of liturgy that we hold on to at Mosaic Silver Spring. And so that, I think, has a couple of implications for us as a community. What it means is when we think of Jesus's wide welcome, it's something we follow. And so when you meet people during that greeting time or before church or after church or you run into them in uh, the local grocery store or restaurant or coffee house and they look familiar and you're talking through like, oh, wait, have I seen you at Mosaic? Don't make presumptions that that person has certain faith commitments or that they're at a certain spot in their faith. They may or may not be. It's a wide welcome, right? Uh, And so when we interact with one another, don't just assume that everyone here believes and looks at life or is living according to the same story as you are. They may or may not be. And so you get to know them. You start typically with their name and you go from there. But don't make that assumption because we follow Jesus' pattern of a wide welcome. The second thing that's worth noting is, I hope, because of that wide welcome, that gives us the freedom to invite people in. Our goal at Mosaic is that we are a place where people feel comfortable inviting their neighbor to join us. That we are a place where someone is, comes across spiritual questions, whether that's in their own life or how they relate to their kids or a specific problem that they are wrestling with uh, at work or in relationships, that Mosaic is a place that is actively exploring what God has to say about those challenges and that they could be welcomed in to explore with us. That is the type of church that we want to be, where we don't make presumptions, about the people who walk through our doors, and we widely welcome anyone who's seeking to think through what it means to be a Christian. And even more specifically, who is Jesus and how does his invitation shape our lives? That's the wide and warm, welcoming community we hope to be. Well, after this intro section in verses 1 and 2, in the following verses 3 through 12, uh, sometimes called the Beatitudes, we get this blessing language. The warm welcome transitions to warm blessing. And it's important to note here, look, in in the 21st century, uh, our blessing language is pretty weak. Uh, uh, We usually use blessing language like when someone sneezes, then we say... Exactly. And that's about as much thought as we give to blessing, typically, right? It's just, you know, it's something, it's a polite courtesy that you say to the people around you uh, when they sneeze. In the first century, when Jesus is talking about blessing, it carries a freight train more of uh, load to it, of weightiness to it when he uses this phrase, blessing. It may be equivalent to uh, participating or watching a very lengthy and complex trial where there's a lot on the line. And when the judge opens up the verdict from the jury to read it, and it's either guilty or not guilty, and for months it's been building up to this moment of justice, and when it's read out, uh, it's almost like you're holding your breath for what he's going to say. That is the type of weight that blessing carries in the first century. So when Jesus opens up 
his teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, and he starts rolling it out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry, and are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As he rolls through these pronouncements of blessing, it carries a weight that brings both surprise and tension. But what you need to try to refocus on just for a moment this morning is that blessing is not the passing language of bless you after a sneeze, but it is the pronouncement from God to you, his people. But it's a surprising pronouncement, right? When... We think through the realities of just who is getting blessing. It runs counter not only to our culture today, but to the first century. When you look at the who's who in the list of blessings, who is it that received this weighty good word from the Lord? Who does it sit upon? It's not uh, the people that the first century hearers, nor most of us today, would typically think about the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. That's who's blessed. So when Jesus extends this invitation. He is setting up a surprising contrast about how God's story works. Because so often we can be fooled into thinking that the way to participate in God's story is to prove ourselves worthy, to clean our lives up, to demonstrate some moral fiber, to uh, accomplish some things in life. Then we'll catch God's attention And then uh, he'll follow us on social media and invite him to parties. That's how God works, right? No, says Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You don't accomplish a certain status in order to catch God's attention. God has his eye on everyone and all are invited to participate. And that invitation and blessing extends down to those who are on the margins. And so if you are here this morning... And you tend to think of yourself as someone who deserves God's blessing because of all of your talent and what you've accomplished. I don't mean to knock your talent or your accomplishments, but I would rather call you to look at who receives that blessing in the opening of Jesus' teaching. Let it surprise you. Let it recalibrate some things in how you think about God's story. On the other hand, if you're here this morning and you, on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to God's favor, you tend to wake up and hear voices in your head that say, you're not worthy of a blessing. If God knows what you've done, mm -mm, that blessing ain't for you. You don't deserve it. 
If that's what you wrestle with this morning, then please, please, please be pleasantly surprised at God's amazing grace and how it rests and invites you in. Jesus' pronouncement of blessing, if that's what you live with, can function as a mute button for the lies that the voices tell you that you don't deserve it or that you are not worthy. These blessings can mute those voices and can remind you that you are invited to participate in God's story. You are invited to come to Jesus in faith. The other thing about these blessings is that there's a tension in them, right? Uh, th this is often used uh, when people scoff at Jesus' blessing because they say, really, the meek are going to inherit the earth? Good luck with that. Uh, uh, that's not the way I see the world working out. Uh, it's the poor who have the kingdom of God? I, I don't know that that's a kingdom that I'm interested in. Uh, and so there's some skepticism about the tension between who it is who's invited in to God's blessing and then how that plays out in life. Uh, when do they inherit it? When is the kingdom theirs? When uh, will they be called sons and daughters of God? When will the kingdom of heaven arrive? When will they see God? And it is a tension that as those who are blessed enter into the story that they begin to work out. Because when it comes to Christianity, there is something about our lives that changes immediately now, but there is part about our lives that is not yet there. So there, that tension of the blessing that has been pronounced over us now, but not yet experiencing the full reality of that blessing, is something that marks the Christian life going all the way back to the time of Jesus. And so we can see that in our day-to-day -day lives as a community. It is possible for you to be a Christian and for your life to be shaped by the story of God's redemption secured for you by the blood of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection that you can live with hope. And yet, sometimes, in the day-to-day, -day, you're not perfect. It is possible for you to be declared righteous before God, having been united to Jesus, but for you to still struggle and fight against sin. That tension between the now and not yet continues in the Christian's life, and it may raise the question of like, well, who closes that gap? Who closes the gap between the stuff I'm supposed to do and don't do and, uh, you know, my status? The New Testament answer is that it is Jesus himself who closes that tension. There's an echo in these blessings going back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. And at that time, the prophet Isaiah was uh, communicating that there is a time coming uh, where uh, people are going to fully come out of exile and uh, God is going to make good on his promises of a promised land. In Isaiah 61, the prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that is jubilee, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. And you find all sorts of echoes in Jesus pronouncing these blessings, but talking about them as not a future thing to come, but something exists here and now for you. Who's Jesus? To say those blessings in that way, let me tell you, friends, Jesus can do that, not talk about those blessings in a future sense, but talk about them here and now because he's the son of God who came to make good on God's promises. The difference between Isaiah talking about these things coming in the future and Jesus pronouncing them on you and inviting you into his story, that difference is because it's Jesus himself who accomplishes and makes good on God's return from exile. That's the Christian hope. It is that simple, and it is an open invitation for you. Well, if you participate in that story and you have turned to Jesus in faith, then in verses 13 through 16, then you become living lights. I really tried to figure out an alliteration with salt, and I just, I mean, like, what do you do? You become the salty salt, you know? It's like, I don't know. If, if you think of something great, text me or text the number on the screen. I'd love to get your take on the alliteration, but I'm going to move on. Living lights, right? So he says, listen, okay, you're blessed. You're living in this tension between the now and not yet, and you're doing it because you've been united to Jesus. Okay, how does that story shape your life? And uh, Jesus starts and he says, let me just give you a broad overview before he begins to unpack specifics. And we're going to get to the specifics in the week ahead. But the broad overview, and I'm going to go a little text in here, is y'all, in verse 13, y'all are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, y'all are the light of the world. It is a second person plural you. It is you all. It is us. It is the corporate people of God who are the salt of the earth. It is the corporate people of God who are the light to the world. It's not a political party. It's not a particular nation. Uh, it's not a particular ethnic group. It's not a particular economic or social status who are the salt and the light. It is the combined collective, multi-ethnic, multinational, covering the full range of health and education and wealth, people of God who function as the salt and light of the earth. And so Jesus warns the people, hey, salt, don't lose your saltiness and light, don't hide your light. He challenges the corporate people of God living in that tension between the now and not yet to let that shape their lives corporately, to think through their value in ways that are in line with God's story, to uh, 
live out our collective story as people who have been invited into God's redemptive work to love our neighbors accordingly. There are lots of examples of this over time. It's not an easy thing to do. Christians have made mistakes corporately, going astray with what it means to live as salt and light. That message has been co-opted by various groups to do maybe some good and oftentimes not so good stuff. That is the challenge for us at Mosaic Silver Spring in the 21st century, that we actively think through what it means to be salt and light to our world here and now. Jesus is going to unpack some very specific ways in the weeks ahead, but it is a corporate challenge and one in which we have to actually be in community to work out together. When Jesus enters into the scene and he pronounces uh, relief, freedom, blessing on all who have ears to hear, he is inviting us in to participate in God's story. What that means for us is that it becomes the overarching story for how we think about life individually and corporately. It means that that story begins to push out the stories that you must uh, become great in order to uh, live a fulfilled life, or you aren't worthy uh, to live a fulfilled life or one of value. But here, Jesus, the beloved Son of God, with whom God is well pleased, invites us in to share that status of beloved, to receive and experience the love of God, the blessing, and I mean the weighty blessing of God upon us now, and then to live that way, to let that be the song that brings us to tears when we see injustice or hurting people, or that drives us and gives us zeal and energy and passion to see God's mission carried out. That is what it looks like to live together corporately as the beloved. That's Jesus' invitation to you this morning. Let me pray. Got to ask that you will give us ears to hear that invitation. Uh, God, I pray that we will not believe the lies that somehow we aren't worthy of your grace. We can't earn it. Lord Jesus, remind us of that reality. We can't make you love us. You offer your love to us. That we may be adopted in as daughters and sons. And I pray, God, that for each of those here today who have turned, uh, whether for years or for the first time, to hear that invitation and to receive it in faith, I pray for them here and now that that will begin to be the story that shapes their lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.